0: I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited. Today we have uh, my spiritual father. Uh, his name is Mark Marshall. I love this guy. I love this guy. I can tell you with great confidence that um, God has used him in powerful, powerful, powerful ways um, to, to have me where I'm at. You do know, right? Nobody ever gets to where they're supposed to be without God putting people in their path um, to help them grow to further them on, to encourage them. Well, Mark has been in large part that person for me. Now, when he comes up here, he'll tell you, brothers and sisters, it was Jesus who they yeah, And and we all agree, but Jesus used him in a really powerful way um, to bless uh, this ministry and to bless me personally. So, um, Mark uh, is, uh, has been a missionary for 30 almost almost 40 years, right? Almost 40 years he's been a missionary. He's um, served in various different ways as a church planter, pastor, and now he leads pastors um, who plant churches and who lead churches in inner cities. And so he's been such a blessing, and he has a powerful word to share with us. So would you give a rousing, excited recovery House of Worship, welcome to Pastor Mark Marshall.
1: Thank you brothers and sisters. Uh, Edward's already given the disclaimer, so I am all look at It's always great to be with you. As, as uh, Edward mentioned, uh, Reverend what what's I call you, Pastor Cullum? Uh, I call him Edward all the time. I uh, uh, mentioned I've been a missionary for close to 40 years, and uh, actually my first, one of my first official acts as a missionary occurred right in this church. It was very different than it is today, it was up in the old boardroom, if you know where that is, on the on the floor across from the Edmunds office, and that was almost 40 years ago. And I met with the the pastors in the area that were sort of calling things together, and I met with them. It was my first time here, uh, and uh, I just praise God for all that He's doing here and through you. Uh, this, when you're as old as I am and you're around long enough, you see how the Lord works in churches over. Decades, and what the Lord is doing here in this building has been dedicated to the Lord's service for what almost a hundred, almost 200 years. In fact, I think it's over 200 years, or close to it. this. Uh, not this building, but this church, the uh, First Baptist Church of Piermont Street. This building is the temple. But uh, uh, to see that the Lord is continuing to honor. Uh, his word through the lives of his people that are dedicated to him is such a blessing. And I just want you to know that you are such a blessing to me as I reflect on all that God has done and continues to do through you. This church, as uh, the church that was here initially, which merged into uh, the, what was then the Lighthouse Baptist Church, uh, almost died. And to see how the Lord has blessed me just encourages my heart. So I, I always appreciate the invitation to come here about once a year and and break the word of God uh, to you. I think this is what the Lord wants us to understand this morning. The more you are like Jesus, the less the world respects you. The more you are like Jesus, the less the world tolerates you. The more you are like Jesus, the harder your life in this world becomes. Which leaves us with only two options, doesn't it? Either we live more like the world and less like Jesus and try to fit and have a comfortable life in this world, or we accept Christ's call to pick up our cross, to follow him and live the hard life. I think, brothers and sisters, and I think you agree, Jesus calls us all as his disciples to live the hard life. Our text this morning is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, so I'd invite you to turn there, I think. Be on the board here, parts of it. We're not going to look at this entire chapter. Uh, we're going to be focusing on most of the first 16 verses, uh, and I'll be looking at it at different times. But why don't you go ahead and stand with me as is your custom, and we'll read together, uh, or you'll listen as I read the first um, verses 6 and 7. We'll start with that. Verses 6 and 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says there, now brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What you have that you did not receive. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? God, and may God add his blessing the reading of his word. You'll be seated. You know that uh, the church at Corinth, read Paul's letters, was a church with a lot of problems. Uh, but you know, uh, one of the uh, benefits and liabilities of getting old is that you see that every church, every church I've ever known, has some degree of issue and problem in their life. Not different here. Not different in the church I'm a member of. at Central Baptist in Manhattan. It's not true of any church. It's not untrue of any church. We all have issues. Corinth had more than a share of issues. And uh, one of them is identified here in the verses we just read, verses 6 and 7. Corinth had a chronic disease. They had a, a problem. They had an advanced case of what the old church fathers in church history would call huberts. That's a fancy word, probably you haven't heard it before, because it's mostly Greek word. It's the Greek letters put into English. What is hubris? Well, that was a big problem in Corinth. Hubris is hard to define. It means pride, but it means more than pride. It means uh, arrogance, but it means more than arrogance. Augustine defined, uh, St. Augustine, one of the early fathers of the church, defined hubris as, uh, let me read it to you has the love of one's own excellence. The love of one's own excellence. Wow. You ever know anybody like that? <laughs> Look in the mirror sometimes. That is a the problem that a had here. They have a delusional sense of their own importance. They thought they had status in the kingdom of God because they identified with a particular leader. Paul refers to that in the verses we read. In the uh, earlier parts of 1 Corinthians, we see that some of the people at Corinth were identifying with Paul, some were identifying with Apollos, who was a great preacher in that day. Some were identifying with Peter, and so on and so forth. And they thought they could get status by identifying with one of the factions in the church. And it was dividing the church, splitting it apart here. What does Paul say here about status in the kingdom of God? He says very clearly and directly, There is no status in the kingdom of God. There is no status or rank before God in His kingdom. But while we are not more or less important in the kingdom, it is true, brothers and sisters, that we are more or less useful in the kingdom. We are more or less useful to God in His kingdom. So the first question I'd like to pose for us this morning is simply this. What does it mean to be useful to God in His Kingdom? What does it mean for you to be useful to God? What does it mean for me to be useful to God and His Kingdom? Look at the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says there, this then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must true faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. How are we useful to God and His kingdom? Paul says here very clearly. We are useful when we're servants. When we're servants on a team of servants. Are you a servant, brother or sister, on a team of servants here? When I was a kid, a long time ago, I used to like to watch old Perfody movies. Guys like Gordon Scott, Steve Reeves, and all those guys you never heard. But usually in these Hercules movies, there'd be a scene of this big uh, galley ship that'd be floating down the river or sea or something. And then there'd be these oars coming out of the ship. Ever see one of those? Yeah. And there'd be a picture, a shot in the movie of the whole of the ship with these big burly guys chained together. They'd be pulling each two of them on uh, an the oar. They'd be pulling that oar, some guy in the back, they'd be pulling they'd be pulling that. And as they pull that oar, they propel the ship down the river. Curiously enough, that's the word that Paul uses here a servant. It's not the word we would expect him to use, but that's the one he's using here. One of those guys pulling the oar on a ship. He says, that's how we are useful to God in his kingdom. We're pulling an oar with our brothers and sisters. We're a servant on a team of servants. What is God saying here? Something very important. Verse 7. All we have is from where? And from who? From God. All we have is from God. Not not a product of our effort, our talents, our skill—all that we have is of God and from God. And our value, brothers and sisters, your value to God is not in your effort. Your value to God is not in your accomplishment. Your value to God is simply, as Paul says here, in your surrender to the call that He's placed in your life. Your faithfulness to what He's called you to do, and if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior then you have a call that God has put in your life. There's something specific He wants you to be doing in the life of this church and in His kingdom. Something very specific that He's gifted you and called you to do. And He's evaluating your usefulness not on what you accomplish, not how much effort you put into it, but how faithful you are in your surrender to the call that God has given Him, or given you. You see, God, as Paul says in verses four and five. God understands you and I from the inside out. We're all handicapped. We can only see each other from the outside in. No matter how close you are to somebody else, you can't penetrate beyond that barrier you're seeing from the outside in. Even uh, between a husband and wife, even Karen and I. My wife Karen is sitting over here next to Evelyn. Uh, as intimate as that can be, we still see each other from the outside in. Only God sees us from the inside out. Notice what Paul says, you are very curious. He doesn't even understand himself as best as well as God understands him. And and so he says, I I feel like I'm okay, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. Only God knows that. And only God will judge my motives here. God understands us from the inside out. Even our own self-evaluation is limited. Only God knows if my service to him is tainted by, by pride or by a jealousy or by anything. Only God knows if the service you're giving to him is tainted by these various sins. And he will be the one who evaluates what that means. The Lord makes the final evaluation of our usefulness to him and his kingdom. God evaluates our service and that truth that ultimately God will determine the usefulness of our service, that caught and called his entire ministry life. That shadowed him his entire ministry life. There's a, a very curious verse, uh, a few chapters on, First 1 Corinthians chapter 9. to This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. I've always found this very uh, sober. Paul says there, that I discipline my body and bring it into subjection uh, so that, listen to this, so that having preached to others, I myself should not be disqualified. That's the Apostle Paul talking. Huh? Wow. And, and that word is Paul, but it can also be translated worthless. Paul, in his, as he went in his ministry, was haunted by the fact that what he does for the Lord may end up being worthless in God's eyes. There might come a point when what he does becomes worthless because it is no longer done in the power and in submission to God. Mm-hmm. And you and I, brothers and sisters, what Shannon Paul needs to because you might disqualify yourself for usefulness to God instead. I might disqualify myself because of, of something that's tainted my service to him. We can disqualify ourselves from ministry. Our usefulness, brothers and sisters, depends on our faithfulness to God. And So are you a servant among other servants? Are you a servant on a team of servants? Are you one of those people pulling yours and propelling the ship? Remember, there's no rank in the kingdom. There's nobody more important to God in this kingdom. But we are more or less useful to Him. Not because of what we've done or <coughs> the, the job we have that He's called us to, suit, but rather He's evaluating us and will determine uh, this at the very end when He returns on our faithfulness to Him, our submission to His call and life. And so that's the question, are we servants on a team of servants? That makes us valuable to God and His kingdom. But then Paul goes on here, and he says what is valuable to God and His kingdom, incredibly enough, is garbage to the world. Some of the bluntest words in all of the New Testament are here in 1 Corinthians 4. Look at verses 11 through 13. We are fools for Christ, Paul says in verse 10 and then verse 11. To this very hour, He's talking about he and the other apostles. We go hungry and thirsty, we are dragged, we are brutally treated, we are homeless, we work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless, when we are persecuted, we endure it, when we are slandered, we answer kindly. Now listen to this: we have become the scum of the earth, the gardens of the world, right up to this moment. To the world call brothers. To the world, he was a fool. To the world, you look like a fool. I look like a fool. We're wasting our time. In fact, Paul says that's true. At the end of this uh, letter, in uh, chapter 15, he says, If for only this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. The closer you are to Christ, the more foolish you look to those around you, to the world around you. And look at these people, these men who were so close to Jesus in their life. Look at what they endured here. They weren't powerful, you know, authoritarian people. They were weak and just dis- uh, dishonored by the world around them. They missed that that TV preacher that talked about how coming to Christ means all the promise of wealth come. It says here that they were hungry and thirsty. Did they dress in Gucci loafers? And, uh, you know? No, they were rags. They were homeless. Most of the time they did a place to live. How did the world around them treat them? They were brutalized and slandered. That's how the apostles were treated. Does that sound inviting to you? Is that sound like something you aspire to? Well, if you're like Jesus, brothers and sisters, the more uncomfortable your fit in this world becomes. So how do you fit? Are you fitted to comfortable in this world? Perhaps I should put a little parenthesis here. When I'm talking about the hard life that Christ calls us to. Many of you have hard lives now. In fact, some of you have hard lives precisely because you've come to Christ. That's not the hard life he's calling us to. He's calling us to a hard life because of our identification to Jesus. Sometimes we have hard lives because we're we're disobedient and we don't, we suffer all the consequences of the abuse of the world offers. Jesus is calling us to a life that's hard precisely we because we're identifying ourselves with Christ. And so are you okay? Are you okay with being a scum of the earth? There's a church in Denver that, that's the name of the church. They are the scum of the earth church. Look at this. <laughs> Maybe you guys should be sitting <laughs> That's a very honest. look at you and you can look at me and, and we can, without uh, any hesitation, say, we're the scum of the earth. We're the scum of the earth. There's a, there's a TV show that Karen used to like to watch that I, I never understood. And I, I don't know if it's still on, I used to watch it once in a while. Maybe some of you watched it, I just thought it was a little sneaky devious, but what not to wear? Never watch that show. <laughs> That show, as best I can understand it. So it, was this this woman's friends, quote unquote, thought this this lady, this colleague of theirs, dressed shabbily or unattractively, or whatever. She needed some work. And so they would go behind her back, and get in touch with people in New York, and get her out here, they'd give her a new wardrobe, right? Give her a new makeup job, do a new hairstyle. At the end of the show, the big, this big reveal, you know, here's here's our colleague it was frumpy before, and now she's and I never understood the charm of that, because it always seemed, boy, if my friends thought that about me, I'm certainly not a fashion plate, and it's far wrong. It. But I don't want you to keep telling me that. And so, <laughs> that was the premise of the show. What are you trying to do? You're trying to change this person's identity, right? at least outwardly. is not what the world's trying to do you. The world is trying to change your identity be identified with Christ, they want you to be like them. They want you to carry their identity. So what labels are you wearing, brother and sister? What are the labels people putting on you? Because you know, there's coming a time, I don't know when, if it's in the lifetime of us here, I don't know, but it certainly looks like it's approaching. There's coming a time when every label you now wear, every label, except one, will be stripped away. And that one label will be Christian, the label of Christian. And then we will discover who truly is a Christian. There's some sober words that Jesus shares with us in one of his last sermons all around this course. Given to his disciples uh, not long before his own death, this is from Matthew 24. These verses, when I was little kid, to scare me to death. Jesus says this, because of the increase of, w- of uh, wickedness, the love of most, he's talking about, People profess to be believers. The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That is not saying.